gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine too, eh? Good, then. Well, then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine and, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's, it's a podcast. podcast. Hello and welcome to Fighting in the War Room, episode 48, the review segment for Friday, November 14th, 2014. Oh, it's so crazy. It's 14 and 14. What could it mean? Anybody want to? All right. No one's got any theories on what it means. <laughs> I, it took me a second to understand what the hell you were talking about because usually you ch- do like day, month, year, but there's no 14th month. I'm just <laughs> see what happened. Or, no, I mean, yeah, oh, that's God. what I meant. It's, oh. We're recording this very late. Um, today we were reviewing uh, Bennett Miller's Foxcatcher, which feels like it's been out for 100 years if you Fox pay attention to Foxcatcher. It was supposed to premiere one year ago at the AFI that's Festival. That's true. I, I remember it being kind of pushed out of that os- that year's Oscar race. We saw some like, sort of leaked trailer around that time. Oh, yeah. Memories. It's like, well, next year is when <laughs> Steve Carell will be back for his Oscar. Yeah. And, uh, and here he is back for his With Oscar. golden touch. See, uh, I think of fox catcher wider than a mile. No? No, mine's no. More of a, mine's more of a Bond no. theme in my head. No, yeah, so it's the Davis. same It's the same as Snowpiercer. Pretty much anything, two syllables, <laughs> gold uh, noun and then a, a verb. <laughs> uh, gold, fox catcher. Yes, that's, that's what i Everyone please send Lee voicemail singing your own version of Goldfinger song as fox catcher. Anyway, fox catcher. It's a movie about a true story in which a very strange rich guy named John DuPont decided to sponsor the U.S. wrestling team and built an entire wrestling compound at his Foxcatcher estate in rural Pennsylvania. Pat- Patches, you're a Pennsylvanian. Is that? Yeah, Pennsylvania, right? Yes. Yeah, I, so uh, I, uh, yeah. the, the kind of star player on this team was a guy named Mark Schultz. Uh, his brother, Dave Schultz, was also a wrestler who was kind of more of a trainer at that point. Uh, Mark Schultz is played by Channing Tatum. Dave Schultz is played by Mark Ruffalo. And John DuPont, the guy who's hosting this whole thing, is played by Steve Carell. And basically, it kind of hits the beats of what happened in real life, which I guess I won't spoil in the setup, even though we can go Wikipedia it. Um, and then watches the very strange dynamics between these three people and especially um, Channing Tatum and Steve Carell's characters as uh, John DuPont kind of tries to make himself a man and make some like fulfill these weird dreams he has by sponsoring this wrestling team and kind of pretending he's a you know, a giant when he's really just a midget. Um, His mother is played by Vanessa Redgrave. She's kind of very skeptical about all of his ambitions. And um, there's a lot of conflicting relationships, a lot of different themes, as we talked about in the main episode. There's kind of an undercurrent in this movie that emerges, especially late in the film, where this is about America and it's about ambition and trying to be bigger than what you are and how, you know, maybe money can't actually buy everything. I found uh, most of the stuff really powerful and effective. It's not a guy. I mean, it's, I think we can get in more into details, but it's not the kind of thing where I can come out and say, well, this was really good. And this part of the story was really great. I thought it set up a really great mood. And it has these three really strong performances at the center of it that really help establish that mood and give you this constantly shifting dynamic between these three people in which what, you know, who's on what side matters a ton and is really hard to tell through the whole thing. And Bennett Miller, who has kind of established himself as a pretty restrained director in a way, like he's kind of, you know, keeps himself out of. I mean, has a, yeah, he keeps himself out of the forefront in the way. Like, he's, he stays out of the actor's way, and I think he does a really good job of that here. I like Foxcatcher a lot. Patches, I want to hear from you first. Did you also like Foxcatcher a lot? I 
did, and it definitely grew on me. I saw this film back at the Toronto Film Festival, and I walked out feeling kind of, I mean, I was unnerved by it. I, I think it's its almost like a horror film, right? It's, definitely. It's, uh, it, it's probably lighter on its themes than I'm sure David will claw into this soon. Um, there, I, I don't know how much there is going on in this film. Uh you know, if, if it's piercing into the issues that it's playing with as much as it thinks it might be, um, or as much as we'd hope it would be. Uh, but it's so unnerving. It's so moody. I find um, Bennett Miller's, all of his compositions to be like frozen. They feel like crime scene photography from the very first shot. Um, and I do, f- it's like Silence of the Lambs in the way where this murder is telegraphed from the beginning too, like, and, and all the shots, the interactions with Channing Tatum and uh, Steve Carell as DuPont, you know, when DuPont's walking around with a gun around Foxcatcher Farms, or just like the way he talks is like Hannibal Lecter at times, the way he kind of smiles. Like he's he's through his mouth the whole time. Yeah, he's kind of a monster. Um, and, and he needs to be, to make the points that this movie also wants to make, which is about this kind of monstrous embodiment of capitalism and wealth and what it means to be powerful in... uh, This movie takes place in the 1990s, the mid-90s, which is actually incorrect. I think they transplanted the action um, from the 80s well, to the it, 90s. Well, I think the action or, starts at no, the same wait. time that it did in real life, but it just wrap, the story wraps up faster than it did no, in No, no, I'm, I'm backwards. No, it actually, the dates that the, the film states it's taking place in is the mid-90s, but it actually took place, or no, wait, it's no, taking no, place, it in place in the 80s. It really took place in the 90s, which I think is an interesting move just because of the the technology that they're using and like the massive amounts of cocaine. I don't know what is true and what is false. It doesn't really matter, but it seems more outlandish perhaps because of all the 80s uh, props and and, uh, the lifestyle in a way. Uh, And and I I do think that it's really effective in the way that it makes, that it's all these characters kind of pulled by money and pulled by power. And clearly Channing Tatum's character, you know, he's an Olympic medal winner at the beginning of this movie and he can't pay rent. Right, and it's he's so down on his luck. He's giving a speech to elementary school kids in the beginning. <laughs> Who could not care less? Which Bennett Miller plays for comedy. I, I think this movie really excels because it can, as dire as it is at times, or as dour as it is, um, it's still very funny. Like Carell gets to play some really goofy moments as this kind of crazy Dupont, and Chadwick Tatum gets to play this like meathead. He plays it for laughs at time, and that scene where he's giving a speech to elementary school kids is hilarious. Um, but it's also just terribly sad, and you can see how easily he's seduced by money and power in this kind of father figure. And then what's even more compelling to me is Mark Ruffalo in this movie mm-hmm. as David Schultz, the brother who can resist it up into a point. But really, uh, I mean, Mark or David Schultz is is fighting off a black hole. He's even more impressive than Matthew McConaughey in uh, Interstellar in this. Like, <laughs> DuPont is the black hole, and you can't resist it. He's too powerful, and no one will tell this sociopath or acknowledge that he is psychotic, that he will shoot people because he comes from wealth. And I just found the whole thing to be this swirling mass, this dark mass. And I mean, it's not a good, it's not a cheerful feeling when you leave this movie, and perhaps that's why it took a yes, while. Yes, it for is. It. No, oh, my took, God. I was a, so happy it was over. Oh, well, oh I, mean, I mean, I'm like sunken into my seat where this is over not knowing if i what i watched was good or not whatever that means but oh, i felt really certain what i watched was good or I, I i mean it blew me back 
but this wasn't Moneyball for me. I wasn't like enamored by all the filmmaking. It didn't seem like the stars were aligning, but I was certainly, I mean, it seems like a balls to the wall example of, of, of dour filmmaking. Now, David, tear it apart. You hated it. I, I don't understand. I don't know. I, I, I had no reaction to this film other than uh, the fact that I thought it was insufferable and profoundly boring. Uh, I love. How can it be so boring when, when I don't know? Like, I, I don't. The filmmaking I don't, feels really visceral to me. It doesn't a, feel. Like I, I thought the way, filmmaking but. was miserable. I mean, I think uh, boredom is a really strange thing for me to feel in a movie because boredom is not I, I, something you cite often. I get restless a lot when I'm seeing something I don't like, and uh, but boredom of this kind is rare for me. Uh, and I see a lot of you know massive finger quotes, difficult films, uh, and I just thought this was because like, I I feel like I understood, and I'm not I'm not saying I necessarily did, but as far as my reading of the film goes, I feel like I. Everything that the movie wanted to talk about was on the table from the get-go and never developed in a meaningful way for me. I think uh, it starts off compellingly with uh, a wrestling scene, an extended scene between um, between the two brothers that wordlessly explores their entire relationship, the dynamic between them. Um, and But it's actually – that's not the first scene in the movie. It begins with – it begins with Channing Tatum at the school uh, using his brother's medal, and the, the miserableism of it all is just so overpoweringly like it, it's comic, but not in the way that Patches cites it as being. I was just like, it's so over the top. It's such a caricature. Uh, everything in this movie is a caricature. I think Steve Carell is, is pretty terrible. Uh, I just don't buy him as a human being, um, although I recognize that. You know, there are certainly people of that degree of eccentricity and, and madness. Um, and, you know, they, the jury in the events that happened after this film, you, the character was on trial. And in real life, the jury tried to get him off on insanity, please, as being a paranoid schizophrenic. And I was like, oh, I can see that. Uh, but I, it felt even re- unrealistic in the way Steve Carell was doing it with that terrible fake nose and everything. Uh, I just thought this movie was, was very surface, very clear what it was doing, and such labored stabs at at gravitas and grandiosity that it just it really just lay there like a corpse for me uh and just started to rot and rot and rot and uh i was really put off by the whole thing um i never had a moment where i was in enjoying what i was watching or that i thought it was saying anything interesting about the american experience that i hadn't uh either seen for myself or seen in, in other films before i think channing tatum is always very good and versatile here. I think Mark Ruffalo, who walks like he might as well be Andy Serkis in Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, uh, he walks with these like huge knuckles and bent over like like uh, like an ape in this movie. Um, it's it's way <laughs> over the top. And I'm, maybe he studied video of how David Schultz walked in, and this is a spot on mimicry. I don't give a shit. It doesn't read well on film. It reads uh, ridiculously. Um, I never everything had in this, this movie, moment. I really never... Yeah. I, ha- I, never I never had any other it, moment with him. I really, really did not like this movie, and I was disappointed by that because um, I love, love, love Moneyball. Um, I initially sort of thought it was this, this successful but middling American story, and really it sort of opened up to me in subsequent viewings as I felt invited to revisit it, and I no such luck with Foxcatcher, which I really hope to never see again. Um, I, I really... Did not care for a single thing about this movie, well, uh, Katie, and I'm happy you, to put it can behind you me. Talk a little about like I, I'm interested to hear what you think about the caricature note from David because I would agree with you, David. I, I think that these 
these aren't really people, they're, they're pawns, in a way that reminds me of something like Martin McDonough's plays or his movies in, in Bruges. Oh, or, wow. or, um, but this one is, is muddier. Uh, this is not as caustic and played for comedy the way McDonough might. But the characters remind me of, of what he does and how they speak for social classes or speak for ideas more than more than uh, you know reflections of true people in a biopic for instance and that's why i think it can kind of swing from comedy to to this gloom i i, I didn't feel miserableism you know there are certainly movies that just steep themselves in this is not dickens uh, this is not sadistically awful uh, dour filmmaking to me, um, but it can because it should chill us. It should. It's a genre movie. It is a horror movie, um, and and mood is important here. And characters being exaggerated to amplify that mood seems pretty reasonable to me. I mean, if it's miserableism, it's on the level of something like Winter's Bone or like later scenes at Brookback Mountain, where you're just kind of being depicting like a hard scrabble existence on a level of hard scrabble existence that we don't really see that much, but that felt really accurate to me. Like uh, Olympic winners do go broke and do have to speak to elementary schools and Channing Tatum's shitty apartment is exactly the kind of shitty apartment you would expect from a I don't even know where athlete. the miserableism comes in like later in the film. They're, they're not like well, I mean, the weather down on sucks. their lucky. <laughs> it's, well, that's Pennsylvania no, for that's, you. No, it's, you it's all Channing Tatum in that first scene speaking to school, mumbling his words. I mean, uh, I, I understand that there are, you know, America has a way of uh, not really caring for its heroes after its sell-by date. And I think that's true of of a lot of countries in the world. That's the story of the imitation game, or at least it should have been, uh, even though that's about the UK, of course. But, um, you know, I, I just... But, like, this look- movie didn't even make me think a lot about um, wealth in America as much as how wealth enables or disables people. Uh, I think I look at DuPont and I think a lot about school shootings or kids who get away with murder or just like all these awful things that people are able but to get away with. But those aren't wealthy kids necessarily. They're not what? They're not necessarily wealthy kids. A lot kids. of them are wealthy kids. A lot of them come, are, I mean, it's about privilege in some ways. And then it's also about pressures of being wealthy. Like, one of my favorite scenes of this movie are probably DuPont and his mother. Like, Vanessa Redgrave gives so much to this movie with so little on the page. Um, and really puts the pressure on DuPont and, like, just twists his brain out of control. And, and then and then you see DuPont go to these charity events where people just laud him. He's great. You know, I grew up in Pennsylvania uh, on the main line near Villanova where our the Villanova um, stadium was named after DuPont, the basketball court. Um, and you just, his name was everywhere. People love DuPont. He gave so much money, that family. And then all of a sudden, he's just shooting people. And, <laughs> you know, he's so enabled and no one can look past his wealth. And this, that's what this movie is all about. We can see how sadistic and wild and how extreme it is. And then all these people are just like, yay, clapping. He's, he's helping so many people. And Channing Tatum's the same way. Well, Channing Tatum embraces him for all of these, you know, different reasons. Like there is the like the weird father figure nature, right. which is reminds you know, me of really, behind the candelabra in a way. Yeah, there's oh, a, yeah, especially totally. when he shows up with his with his blonde hair dye, which oh is my a really God. good joke in the movie. So funny. Um but I mean he's been there for part of that, but partly for himself and partly just for lack of something better to do. I think there are so many layers to why he gets involved in this and why uh, John DuPont doesn't and why Mark Ruffalo gets involved. Like that's what I find so fascinating about it. Everyone is involved in this ridiculous situation that seems so weird. Like when you try to describe the plot of this movie, it makes no sense. But 
you see why everyone decides to get involved and why Mark Ruffalo moves his family out to Pennsylvania for the sake of this. I do think maybe I could have used a little more of the Schultz brothers relationship in this movie. Like those opening beats, as David said, where where they're fighting and it's kind of summed up in this visual motif of, of wrestling um, was an interesting introduction. But I don't know if I got enough of them. Obviously, Mark Schultz, Channing Tatum, was whisked away to Foxcatcher Farms and only later was his brother talked into joining him. But I, I don't really know how David winds up at the farm or like how that relationship kept complicating money it didn't seem like they were butting heads that much or they would be so competitive but then again mark schultz is seen bashing his head into a mirror because he can't get anything right so the guy has issues <laughs> maybe i, I don't yeah know. i mean there's, there's the something guy... there like another scene just with mark ruffalo and channing tatum i think would have made this movie great like amazing but yeah, I don't know. There was just uh, I I don't I disagree so with anything. I, I, I mean, I don't disagree with anything Patch has said as far as what the movie's trying to do. I just don't think that the movie does it it's in effective. a remotely interesting way. Um, I I really thought this was a major misfire and a waste of time for everybody involved. And, I wonder uh, how much like I am a fan of the composer who did the music on this movie. His name escapes me. Um, but I do think that the movie is weighed down. Oh, Rob Simonson. Um, he's done some great stuff, but his, his, the music, I think, weighs this movie down just a little bit. If anything is so? edging it towards miserableism, it's this, like... I can't say that I remember... Of, I don't remember the score. I, I can't well, say it, I remember the It's not memorable. Score. It's just kind of hammering home points we already... No, if there was a different mood or if there was a different insight from the music and maybe the photography too, maybe it doesn't need to be so, uh, so crime photo-y or yeah, so stagnant. It made me dread times. winter so much. Like I saw it in September and I was like, Jesus Christ, we're all going to die before this is over. Yeah, this will be my new Black Swan soundtrack, which is what I whip out. During the, the winter months when I'm like roaming New York. Actually, that's that's more involved, though. At least that has energy to it. This was just true sadness. If I'm in the corner of my apartment and it's snowing and the heat's not working, I'll probably turn uh, on a glimpse into when Patches' you life. Little match girl. Oh, the little match girl. Yeah, um, yeah I just, uh, I, yeah, I, this... I, I just was not connecting with any of this. Uh, I wish that I could be more eloquent about it, uh, but I saw this movie a long time ago and it very quickly faded from my mind. Uh, Come on, what about that scene where he buys a tank? Dupont buys. That's hilarious. That, 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 hilarious. that scene is amusing. I mean, it, in a seven hour movie, there are parts that are, <laughs> and invariably, there are parts that are uh, amusing. Um, but. How about that this Sienna was, This Miller. is something that. This is a film that I've been waiting for for a long time, and yeah. I just. Uh, I thought it was it was a really major misfire from start to finish, and uh, it's upsetting. I think there's something. I mean, I basically just I'm ignoring. Not to ignore you, David, but I wanted to talk about something else that has nothing to do with what you just said. Um, what's interesting about Steve's Carell, Steve Carell's performance to me is everyone talking about it being this departure. And, you know, we had our lightning round question about uh, actors showing their dark sides. But I think the most compelling parts of this characters are the most uh, Michael Scott-like moments. Like, there's a moment where they're he's celebrating <laughs> with the wrestling team and they kind of all start chanting his name and he just has this look of pure elation on his face because he's been accepted by a group. Right. And I think that's why Steve Carell's casting is so powerful is because that's exactly what Michael Scott wanted the entire or, time the or office what he was running. He, his mom comes into the training facility because she oh, really God. looks down upon wrestling. And he gives like right. this terrible speech where he's trying to It's Michael like Scott awkwardness it's, to it's, the... It's exactly Michael Scott awkwardness. Yeah, I guess I just like I... I tend to assume, I think there are enough examples of brilliant comedians 
having, you know, the tapping into their darker sides, something that may fuel their comedy for dramatic roles that I'm no longer surprised by it. Well, I, I don't uh, think I, you and have to be surprised by it to see power in this version of the character. No, I don't. I think, I think that what you're saying is spot on. I think that, uh, you know, while I do think Steve Carell is a bit, you know, it's not his fault. I think Bennett Miller was probably encouraging to be as over the top as he is. But I think, of course, if any character in this movie is allowed to be over the top, it's not the, the Schultz brothers who are vividly so. It is uh, it's Steve Carell's character, uh, DuPont. Um, but yeah, I just like I I don't know all this talk about uh, and this is not necessarily a retaliation to what you just said, but just the, the talk that you acknowledge of everyone being so. Uh, out of character it's just it's i'm just like yeah of course like i'm not at all surprised that he delivers or has at least evinces the capability to deliver a fine dramatic performance um and i think eventually we'll we'll stop as a collectively being surprised when comedians do that (laughs) yeah it is dumb to be surprised when comedians do that but it's interesting like I think a lot of comedians, I mean, I guess Jim Carrey does something similar in Man on the Moon, but you see a lot of actors, like, I feel like every time Ben Stiller goes dramatic, it, like, has nothing to do with any comedic persona he's set up, and it's much more interesting when someone does something like this, where it's, like, seeing the hapless loser as a psychopath as don't opposed you, to a lovable dolt. Don't you see a lot of Judd Apatow and Foxcatcher since Bennett Miller clocked some serious time on This Is 40, like, hanging out with... Yeah. Or no, funny people. I'm sorry. He hung out on the yeah. set of funny people. I'm starting to see all the, the Judd Apatowisms. Like what? In Foxcatcher. I have absolutely no idea. Oh. <laughs> Steve Carell, comedy. Eh, whatever. Yeah, there you go. Man it's probably there. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Women being bitches. Sienna Where Miller's is, in this movie for 10 What minutes. happened? Yeah, don't you think there's material on the cutting room floor that warrants, like, why... Sienna well, Miller's there was a, there must there's a four and a half hour version of the film that Bennett Miller had ready this time last year that he believes was a good movie and was ready to watch. And then um, uh, what's her face? Uh, Megan Ellison was very supportive of Bennett Miller taking the time to recut it and put it into the form that we get to see now. Uh, and I, I mean... You know, I wouldn't, I, I, and maybe this is the way just I feel about all movies that I know that have longer versions and miss their potential. I wouldn't necessarily be surprised if I thought the four and a half hour version was a better movie, but I do think that the Enterprise was so fundamentally misguided. But that is there something I wouldn't missing bet on from it. the movie? Is that what irks there's you? A, there's, like, nothing, there's nothing present in the movie for me, right. so I suppose that <laughs> o- there's things a lot can only missing. be added to Foxcatcher. Yeah. Um, well, Katie, take us out and say something nice about Foxcatcher. I really loved Foxcatcher. <laughs> I think it's got some of the best performances we've seen from any of the people involved. I mean, not, I'm not going to say Ray Vanessa Redgrave because I have not seen enough of her work, and she's barely in the movie, but she's also great in it. Um, yeah, it really it lived You're a Tatum to- fangirl, so... Well, yeah, and I think he really gets better with everything he does. But I think it's, I mean, I, I would be hard-pressed to argue for a better performance he's done. Um, I, even Magic. Mike she's the man. This. And I've, been, <laughs> I've never seen She's the Man, actually. What? Oh, my God, it's so I good. Know, my Tatum uh, completist stat- status isn't complete. Um, yeah, go see Foxcatcher, you guys. People are going to be talking about it, and you should see it. Or not. You can fight with David. David, would you really <laughs> tell people not to bother seeing it? Uh, well, I mean, it depends on how much... You know, money you've got to spend, what your weekend schedule is looking like. I don't know what your I'll life is. You have wrestling practice uh, this weekend. Don't you? Shouldn't you be practicing in the gym? Yeah. Uh, the uh, I don't know. I I don't necessarily 
believe for certain that people <laughs> will be talking about this movie for all that long. Yeah, I don't know if it's uh, going to connect with a wide Yeah, I don't, I'm not sure about that. Uh, and I think that the critical notices, it's, while still positive, and this will be fresh on the tomato meter and whatnot, uh, I think are not nearly as ecstatic as they were out of can. And I think that is reflective of a general sense of being underwhelmed but you know who knows? i don't know i don't think it's underwhelmed i i imagine a lot of people felt the way i did which was just so unnerved you can't really express like positive or negative comments about it it's just so chilling and i wonder if that's where a lot of the confusion or a lot of the dampened reactions would come from that this is such a gloomy film that i don't think enters into miserabilism um that it's just it's just hard to champion something so dark, so chilled. Um, but I liked it. I would recommend people see it. Foxcatcher, catch the fox. Oh, that should be. Is that <laughs> what fox? I think they just like squeak. Squeak, squeak, squeak. Fox, I'm a fox. That's definitely how it ends. <laughs> lightning round questions patches why did anybody make dumb and dumber 2 um wait don't spoil it i have to see it tomorrow (laughs) don't spoil it (laughs) don't don't what is is, i can't explain any pretty complex plot it does yeah they go on another road trip the two guys harold harry and lloyd which you tweeted earlier this week david harold lloyd (laughs) harry and lloyd something i never thought about either that's i I, it honestly 20 years i know (laughs) i've never thought about that it makes perfect sense um dumb and dumber 2 is pretty much exactly like Dumb and Dumber. It doesn't really repeat jokes, which I was very, I was proud of it. And I my saw biggest... him doing uh, the I lock it a lot. That one well, definitely is in the trailer. Of course, they load up the trailer with all the callbacks. But okay. watching it in the moment, there are there are lots of new running jokes, which I could really appreciate. And I don't know, I, I we don't have films like this very often. The the Jim Carrey brand of physical comedy, like they just don't happen. There's probably not an audience for it. It's we're, we've we've gotten smarter. I don't know if that's correct but we've gotten no, we more apatowian where talking is the priority and seeing something like dumb and dumber there's like a jolt trying to make this work it seems like the worst of cbs comedy for about the first 10 or 15 minutes mostly because harry and lloyd are acting dumb to each other and i think that's the problem because the whole setup is that harry's been in some sort of he's been in um a coma for like 20 years and they jolt him out but it's all a big prank that's in the trailer um and then they have to kind of get on the road with each other and when it's just them being dumb together it's real dumb it's stupid it's terrible um when it's them being dumb to other people unsuspecting people um that's when it gets actually pretty funny uh and I'll, i'll give it some props uh this is probably the funniest movie that um what's their names oh god the fairly brothers Brothers have made in in some time since me myself and irene i would guess which i think is very funny but uh yeah dumb and dumber too i would actually recommend people check it out just to like experience it it's so out of place in 2014 is it not gonna like make us hate our elementary school selves for ever finding any of it funny no you know what's really interesting
thing about it is I think Dumb and Dumber works because it was shot on film. I don't know why I think that or if there's a nostalgic element to that. But you mean the original? This, yes, the original Dumb and Dumber um, works because it looks like drama movies of the same kind. It looks like Rain Man. <laughs> uh, and I never thought about that until seeing Dumb and Dumber 2, which is shot digitally, and it just looks bad. I mean, it looks like television, and which sucks, because it deserves to look like a film. It deserves to have the scope of a movie instead of, you know, sitcom garbage. Um, but the Jeff Daniels and Jim Carrey elevate it, so it's still worth checking out. All right. Um, real quick, Beyond the Lights, which only I have seen, is a pretty interesting melodrama in that it is very much a melodrama and has a lot of plot twists you can totally see coming, but it's kind of this... Uh, basically based on a fictionalized version of Rihanna, this pop star who's kind of got purple hair and is heavily sexualized and then uh, starts a relationship with a cop. Uh, the woman who plays the Rihanna uh, pop star is Gugu Mbatha-Ra. I don't know if I'm saying Yeah, she was right. in Belle. She was in Belle, which I have not seen, but uh, I heard good things about her performance in that, and she's very good in Beyond the Lights, which is really exciting. And she and Nate Parker, Nate Parker's been in a million things over the years. Um, they have great chemistry together. They're really fun to watch. They have this... You know, very standard issue romance that is still compelling because you uh, are excited to see these people together. Um, and so it's got some, like, stars born behind the scenes of the music industry stuff. And then it's got, uh, you know, very stock characters, like the bad boyfriend who she's going to break up with. But then it's also got, like, uh, Minnie Driver is the, you know, the mo- <laughs> the momager character, which... I didn't. I don't think. I don't think I knew she was in it before I saw it. I was pretty impressed by that, and she's great in it. Um, so there's just these little bits of these moments that make it more than it is. And I, I realize I, I don't know when was the last time I saw a straight romance that was not a Nicholas Sparks movie. Like usually they're rom coms or their romances worked into other things, but this is pretty much just a romantic melodrama. And I like that it exists outside of Nicholas Sparks movies. I think we owe ourselves that much. Especially when it's not just white people kissing on beaches, as in Ugh. every Nicholas Sparks movie. So over that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I enjoyed Beyond the Lights a lot. You know, you, you, I think you're allowed to giggle at some of the sillier moments and still get a lot out of it. So. Giggle or goo goo? Uh, giggle and then scream goo goo at the, the end. She has the best name. The best <laughs> name. Yeah, she has a really fantastic name, and I'm uh, I, I'm now excited to see Belle, which I wasn't that interested in when it came out. Yeah, I, I was not. I think Belle gets a pass because it focuses on uh, an underserved topic. It, it provides a really strong leading role for a black woman, uh, and Gugu Mbutha-Raw does a very good job in that role. Uh, and the movie's very handsomely done. Tom Wilkinson, got to give it up for T. Wilkes, my boy. Uh, not a very good movie beyond that. I think it really is uh, it is really just par for the course, and it happened to be so. But the course is seldom played. Hey, so. something has to start the snowball rolling down the mountain. For that was a, a good sports metaphor you just had there, David. It yeah, looks like Foxcatcher rubbed up on you after all <laughs> foxcatcher rubbed off on something that's for sure <laughs> yeah, um is that it patches did you have one other thing you want to talk uh, about? uh no i don't think so the homesman comes out in limited release tommy lee jones's western which reminds me of evil dead 2 um that's wow. not like that's not that's really a compliment not a connection it's a western it's um, <laughs> very strange and rosewater why don't i we'll mention rosewater well, next I'll week because all of these are limited release including foxcatcher which will grow and grow and come to multiplexes near you eventually i think and it being november 14th uh happy two weeks until the babadook comes out oh wow. we have a countdown clock 
So. I thought you were going to say Happy Kirk Cameron Saving Christmas, no. uh, which also comes out this week, no, that's if that's your jam. It is my, definitely my jam. Uh, okay, done with that. Patches, what was this, what was this week's lightning round question? Um, yes, it was in honor of Steve Carell in Foxcatcher. Which actor should show their dark side next? David, do you have an answer? Ooh, uh, <laughs> let, let's see here. The dark side. Um, well, Patches, do you have I do have an answer, actually. I'm going to go with at T.A. Williams 11, who says Jenna Fisher. A bunch Ooh. of us have been campaigning for her to be the next Von Trier heroine. <laughs> mm. <laughs> I imagine that's oh. a joke, but that sounds pretty awesome. And it I've got the I, office trend. We got some good answers, uh, although I'm tempted. Uh, listen, I'll, I'll let you guys in on a little secret. No matter what the question is, if you say Wavanjane Wallace, I'm contractually <laughs> obliged to pick you. Uh, so William Goss will. But what, what, what's is, your real answer? That's that's the that that is my real answer. Choose. I would love to see Wavanjane Wallace in a, like a remake of The Bad Seed or something, oh and that'd be God. great. Let's see. Let's see the Annie remake first before we make <laughs> that. Might be crazy. a remake of The Bad Seed. <laughs> Um, okay, I'm going with Adrian Charlie, who said Miles Teller, which I think is a probably a logical next step in his uh, rising star. He's role. already kind of has no, a dark side. No, Whiplash doesn't count. No, not Whiplash. Oh. In um, Insurgent, not uh, what's it called? What? Divergent. Oh, I never saw Divergent. He's a douchebag really? in Divergent. No. Really? Okay. Yeah, but by the end, he's kind of on the good guy's side. Yeah, so see, Insurgent, like, not so much. I feel like he's got a really uh, good knack for playing a douchebag that he hasn't done a ton of. You know, he has it kind of in Spectacular now, but again, he's your hero. So I think uh, Miles Teller should embrace his douchebag side and really uh, give us a good I'm, villain. I'm confused Yo, by Whiplash. <laughs> Yo, Whiplash. Uh, I'm confused <laughs> by all these people who say Kristen Wiig and Zoe Deschanel, two people I don't imagine having dark sides at all. What's I'm confused deal? by the person who said Kate Blanchett because they didn't see Hannah, which is depressing. Oh yeah, she was quite. She was a great villain. In diabolical Hannah. in that movie, and Super. she's going to be in Cinderella, so she'll be the. Oh yeah, she's going to have a cat on stepmother. a leash. What? She has a cat on a leash. Cat on a leash. That's the only thing I know about that movie. About what movie is this? The Cinderella movie. That well, that's not a real thing. It's why? a real thing. No, Kate it's Katie, a Katie, Katie, we've talked about you just spreading outright <laughs> lies on this show before. <laughs> Get ready for that one. Of course there's a Cinderella movie. Okay, uh, that does it for this week's Fighting in the War Room. We'll be back next week uh, also talking about the Hunger Games, speaking about dystopian YA franchises. They didn't make another one of those. They Come sure on. did. Come there's going to be another one after that. David, I don't know how you're going to get through the next few years of uh, uh, Anyway, in the meantime, tell the people who you are. Um, I am Matt Patches. I write all across the internet and uh, try and put everything on mattpatches.com. And I'm on Twitter at Mr. Patches. Uh, and I still can't believe there's a cat on a leash in the new Cinderella movie. You so need that's... a Google uh, Cinderella <laughs> cat on a leash. You'll find our friend Meredith Warner's post on io9 about oh, this very Oh, my God. Okay, good. <laughs> Uh, I'm David Ehrlich. I'm the editor-at-large of Little White Lies magazine. If you're in the New York area, I would love you guys to come to Videology in Brooklyn on Friday night, tonight, yeah. if you're hearing this the day we premiere it, at 9.30. We are celebrating the launch of Little White Lies first book, What I Love About Movies. It's going to be a really, really fun time. I'll Admission be there. Admission is free. All, all of us will be there, except for Dave, who's so all of us currently talking to you will be there. Uh, please come by. You can also find me on Twitter at David Ehrlich and at Criterion Corner. And I am Katie Rich. You can find me at Vanity Fairs Hollywood or on Twitter at Katie Rich, K-A-T-E-Y. R-I-C-H, thank you for listening, and we'll be back talking to you next week. A dream 
is a wish your heart makes when you're fast to see in dreams. 